Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is The Art of Neighboring, Part 5, The Art of Forgiving, recorded Sunday, September 5th, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Today we are wrapping up our series that is called The Art of Neighboring, and it's been quite a month. I mean, our hope is that over the last five weeks, you have had added encouragement to be a good neighbor. It's as simple as that. Because Jesus teaches us, how can I say I love God and yet not love my neighbor? And I would say there's probably not a better passage to summarize this journey we've been on, the art of neighboring, than the one that I'm going to read right now. It's from Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serve the Lord with that. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people who you consider to be lower in position. Do not be conceited. I mean, I mean, right? I mean, if you're going to summarize this whole thing, wouldn't it be found in that statement about neighboring? But as Grant showed us in the bumper, sometimes we're stretched by our neighbors. Yeah, they test us. They, they can challenge our patience. I mean, is there anyone here who has never been hurt by someone else? Is there anyone here who, who people have done things to you that you certainly didn't deserve, but you had to endure anyway? Is there anyone here who would like to give someone a piece of your mind or who would like to even get some justified revenge against them? Is there anyone here who has visualized in your mind what you'd like to do to someone that you know is wicked. Over the years, I've been witness to some truly horrible neighboring stories. I've seen disputes between neighboring siblings who lived on the same ranch or farmlands, whose parents were not even dead yet, but in a rest home, and they started gobbling up what they thought was theirs and taking land and cattle from each other and the hatred that came out of that. I have, I have witnessed, and so have you at times, neighbors who have hooked the neighborhood kids on drugs or on porn. When I was four or five, one of my childhood neighbors put poison hamburger out so that our dog would eat it, and they killed my dog. Some of you have had things like that happen too. But I don't know if I've ever heard a more horrific neighboring story than the one one of my colleagues told me years ago. He was a classmate of mine at Nebraska Christian College, and uh, one of the things that he was doing to serve in our community was to go to a local rest home where he had befriended a man named Adolf. And let me just stop right there. Anytime you hear the name Adolf, you know it's a very old story because 
one Adolf in history pretty much eliminated that name out of circulation for the rest of us. So old story about this man. And by the way, when you hear this man's story, you're going to think, well, there's another reason, right? But anyway, they got pretty close, my friend and this Adolf. And in one of his visits, Adolf began telling a story about something that happened in his life maybe 50 years before that, a long time before this. And uh, maybe in the 1930s, for instance, about how he and his neighbor were squabbling over a fence line. And they'd been going back and forth, and the hatred got deeper. And they were out there one day arguing again over this, where this fence was placed. And, and somehow, the man that Adolf was arguing with turned just enough so that Adolf took his shovel and hit him over the head and killed him. And then he buried him on the fence line. And he held that secret until, Jeff thinks, until this moment when he told him the story. He buried him right there. Now that's messed up neighboring 101 right there, friends. I mean, let's face it. And really what that shows us is in a very extreme way, we got to get past our hurt. But here's the problem. Everyone here is going to hurt someone. And everyone here is going to be hurt. And even when you're trying to do the right thing, someone close to you is probably going to misunderstand you at some point and level you. And maybe it's that you're doing good for someone else. And then another person gets jealous of that. And so then they start coming after you in, in strange and vindictive ways. In life, none of us can get everything we want or everything we think we deserve. So all of us have been set up to be hurt at some level or another. And, and I think part of it is we have so many unrealistic expectations of others, and then we think that, by the way, that we don't put on ourselves, but we think that somehow they should live toward us. And so another thing that happens is, and especially Christians, I think, are somewhat susceptible to this, we think that somehow because now that we're in Christ, we should have a free pass against hurt. When in fact, life doesn't do that for us. I think it's a greater factor in shaping our, shaping our, shaping our lives than maybe any other thing. It's how we deal with hurt and with misunderstanding and with victimization. And really, if you think about it, there's really only two options, especially for Christians, right? The first of these two options when our neighbor hurts us. It's all about what you decide with that do with that shovel. And, and the, most, the most homicidal way to deal with being hurt by someone else is murder. Now, you might be thinking, I would never do that. But Jesus taught us this. He said that when you hate another person, that's murder. It's murder in your heart. And it kills opportunities. It kills relationships. It kills friendships. It kills other relationships. It kills the way you relate to people. It hurts brothers and sisters and neighborhoods. Option A is this, hold a grudge. That's the first option. Now, that feels good for a while because you get a sense of satisfaction that you're in control of something. And, and I will say, and this might sound too graphic for you, to me that's like just holding onto a shovel and carrying it around everywhere you go. 
It feels like you've got something accomplished when you say, well, I'm never going to speak to that bleep again. Or, or you get pleasure out of rolling your eyes every time they walk into the room. Everybody's, a, you know, you're like looking at your sister going, oh, you know, or your spouse or whoever, you know. Or, or maybe for you, it, it's, it, it's, you just have this, you know, this fantasy world of what you would do to them if you really could. If you really could, you'd just walk right up to them and right in the face, you know, or whatever it is your fantasy is. You get even. Holding a grudge is a natural thing to do in this world because this world feasts on pain and on hurt. And yet the question is, does holding a grudge really work? I mean, because think about this. The grudges that stick to us that we can't get rid of, usually, usually, we had something to do with developing. Usually. I mean, think about it. Here comes your baby's daddy or your former wife with a new knife, and, and now that you see what everybody else tried to tell you, not only are you angry and frustrated with them, but you also feel a little bit of guilt yourself, if you'll be honest. Because people tried to warn you but you didn't listen. Or maybe you tried to warn you, like the Holy Spirit, and you said, no, not this. But now your blood pressure is going off the charts. You are so angry at that person. You are still angry at their parents. Uh, you, haven't, you won't even let your kids see their grandparents because of the, of the hatred and vitriol that exists between all of you. You won't go to family events because you think that person's gonna be there. You hate your teacher because your teacher gave you a failing grade, and you kind of failed to forget that you didn't do much work that semester to earn a grade in the first place, but you pin it on them, and so you have this view of them. You get mad at everyone. Each time you think about your ex-spouse or your ex-boss or your, your neighbor that you put in that category of frustration. And then what happens is, People know not to be around you in those circumstances. Because quite frankly, you're not very fun to be, a, to be around. And they don't want to be a part of that. And yet you try to suck them into your own grudge building. Is that too graphic? It's holding the shovel. Who wants to walk up with you when you're holding the shovel with a frown on your face, you know? And how's that really working for you? That's the question. Rick Moberly says this, the longer you hold a grudge, the longer the grudge will hold you. It's kind of like you're holding that shovel and you can't see that here's what you're doing with the shovel. Bang, 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 bang. Everybody else sees it, but you don't see it. And the deeper you hold on to that, the deeper it, deeper it it, 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 it adheres to your soul. Now, to be clear, and you probably know this, but you need, might need to hear it again, a grudge does very little to get revenge against another person. They might even know you have a grudge. And if they do know, they might kind of think that's okay because that means that it's hurting you somehow. Holding a grudge hurts the person holding it and the ones around them probably more than the person you're holding it against. 
And the grudge is your way of thinking, this is going to keep that other person accountable for what they've done to me. But eventually, the emotional weight of the grudge will become too much for you to handle. And then you will just come, become this angry, frustrated human being, especially in regard to that relationship. And so then what happens, if you really know yourself, you'll, you'll agree with this, that affects the way you care about and love other people. It keeps you from being fully the kind of person that God needs you to be for your neighbors and your spouse and your children and the people around you who need more from you. So that's option A, carry the grudge. That shovel that you think you're going to use to defend yourself or get retribution. When in fact you're continually hurting and burying yourself with it. Now, option B, which is the one I would propose, is forgiveness. Activate forgiveness. This is the strategy and the way that God has given us to deal with those who hurt us. Now, why should you make the choice to forgive? Because it's not just to release the other person, like to let them off the hook. I mean, that's not what this is about. It's to release you to be free from them. Some of us won't admit that the chain of grudge in our lives is hurting us. And, 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 and people say stuff like this all the time. You've heard it, you've said it. Well, I don't have anything against her. I just don't talk to her. Uh, I don't hate my sister. I just can't stand to be around her. Uh, you know, I, I, I really don't hold anything against my ex-husband, but he's a jerk and and nobody should like him, and you shouldn't be around him either. Now, we do stuff like this all the time. It is natural not to speak to your sister, your brother, your child, your parent, your pastor, your coworker in this world that creates a hatred vitriol about life. It's not natural, and it's more natural to hold a grudge and to use it against them. But we're not supposed to be natural people. We're supposed to live in the supernatural of God. If anyone ever had a reason to hold a grudge against anyone, it is God. Let me ask you, are you willing to admit that God has somehow blessed you? I mean, you're thinking, well, I don't know. Let me just give you one good example. Are you breathing today? He gave you life. He blessed you with life, and, and if you're alive, you didn't turn on some button to make that happen. He put you into life. You didn't determine the place where you'd be born or who you'd be born to. God made that choice for you. And you're saying, well, he didn't make a very good choice. Well, every choice you started to make when you were, let's say, five, six, or seven, that now is on you. Now you make choices. Now, God could have said in all the choices you made that went against him, he could have said, I reject you. I don't need you. If you came in here thinking God somehow needs you, you're mistaken. God doesn't need you. He loves you. And that's different. When you love someone, it means that you look beyond the things about them that disappoint you and you accept them anyway. This is God for you and me. This all-powerful God who loves us so much, he was willing to cross the street or cross the fence 
and activate his powerful, unlimited grace and forgiveness for you who have disappointed him so often. Because really, truthfully, how many of you can sit there and say, you know what, I don't know if I'm guilty of that. I don't know if I'm guilty of, of somehow breaching God and his love. But he loves us so much. He did the incomprehensible. He put himself in the place of blame, of condemnation, of punishment in the form of Jesus Christ so he could continue to hold a grudge? No. So he could forgive you. That's why. So before we talk about forgiving anyone else, I think one of the things we can do is think about the worst things we think we've done to God as we walk toward him at the point of the cross where that was probably the most demanding point on him in life, right? Where he was at that cross. He's breathing agonizingly shallow breaths. His body is being broken and covered with blood and grime. His mouth starts to open and he gasps your name. And he says, I forgive you. Father, forgive them. That's God. And you don't deserve it. Neither do I. See, there's nothing you can ever do to trump that kind of forgiveness. I don't care what it is. You say, well, but if you just knew what they'd done to me, which I would again respond to say, well, nothing they've done to you can trump what you've done to God, and yet he forgave you anyway. When we stand near God's forgiveness long enough, we recognize that, that, that not only does God give us grace, but he looks far beyond our failures. And look, that's why we're here, okay? So if, if you're looking for a different kind of message than the message that, that we bring in this realm of forgiveness, you're, you're, you are in the wrong place. Now listen, I want to read to you from Romans 12. I'm going to go beyond that to verse 17. This is how he continues to talk about this, this grace that comes to us. He says this in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Well, that doesn't sound very fun. I mean, first of all, notice the Bible does not try to say that what's happened to you is not evil because truly evil things happen to people. You've had evil things happen to you. I've had evil things happen to me. And quite frankly, I've done some evil things myself. And maybe you have too. So evil is something sinister straight out of hell. It's the devil's attempting to destroy our relationships, but we have a choice. We can pay back evil for evil. Or we can choose to forgive. Now, if I'm a believer, if I'm a redeemed human being, that means that God wants me to take a different practice, to not repay evil for evil. Because listen to me now, this is, just hear this. Faith is not just believing in God. Faith is living my life like I believe in God. Do you get that? Romans 12 goes on to say, be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone? He said everyone, didn't he? Everyone? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, the heart of forgiveness is my willingness to believe that God will perfectly 
execute justice. That's faith too. Uh, now, I want to hold on to a grudge because I want to make sure that that person who's hurt me or someone I love, that they get what they deserve. And if I let them off the hook, in my thinking, that means they got away with it. That's not what God says. God says, no, you just turn, you just turn, here, you hand me that shovel. I'll take care of that in the perfect way, the right way. I will execute perfect grace and mercy or, and or justice. By the way, I have this little theory that I live in sometimes. It helps me to maybe get past myself when I'm angry at someone and I want the worst for them. The theory is that if I had a one-minute glimpse into hell, that I wouldn't wish that on anyone, even my own worst enemy. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I have found myself at some times to be kind of a decent preacher or dad or spouse or friend. I'm a lousy God. I'm just no good at it. Because there are people I would just hit over the head with a shovel, let's just be frank, and bury in the fence, fence line. And you know what? God has a way of just taking that person and make them, make them all they can be, despite my hatred, despite myself. For those of you who want to play God and keep doing that, I have a couple questions for you. They're going to be hard to answer. How much do you need to do to a person to get even with them? Where does it stop? Because that's a long journey, friend, and you'll never find the end of it. Here's the second thing. How will you use revenge to change them? And you know what the answer is? It doesn't. You can't. You're wasting your time, and quite frankly, you're killing yourself. Bong, bong, bong. I'm not smart enough to know the answer to those questions for you. I just know myself that God works through forgiveness, not revenge. He's really good when I'm in forgiveness. He's really, he's really not existent when I am holding a grudge. So here's what he goes on to say on the contrary, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed them, really. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on your head. Now, I find some satisfaction in that, thinking, okay, well, at least they're going to maybe have some conscience about it. That's not what that means. Uh, burning coals is actually a blessing. So if that's what you think, you have to figure that out. Do not become overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. Ah. <sighs> Hmm. All of this to show me that God is different than I am and that he sees me this way and he could take out the shovel anytime he wants and take me out. But instead he chose to love me and forgive me and have hope for me and to let me go overcome evil of my rebellion, he chose to love me by becoming, coming into my world and becoming like me for my sake. 
Dave and Jay in this book that we've been reading said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Let me ask you, what would change for you today? I don't know who's in your life. I don't know who you might be holding a grudge against, if anyone. What would change in you, for you today if you would just simply say, mm, here God, no longer. You get the shovel. I forgive. I mean, it might be a neighbor across the way. It might be someone who shares the same workspace. It might be someone who has your family name. It might be a decades-old grudge. It could even be a childhood perpetrator in your life. What would happen today if you said, God, here, I, you bury this offense because I can no longer bear it? Would that change anything in you? Oh, absolutely, it would. The consistent message of, of our God is, continue steadily on what I've told you to do, and I'll guard your life. If you try to do that yourself, you remove me from your life. God has a plan for your pain. Give it to him. Jesus died to set you free from holding grudges. He died to forgive you from the grudge he could hold against you. This is the work of God's powerful Holy Spirit in his people. We are his people. If you're struggling, I want to give you a few simple ways to move forward with forgiveness very quickly. First, you do have to assess the severity of the situation. And, you know, you're not going to put your family in harm's way again because someone's a bad actor. So you may have to get some help. You may have to, you know, have a mediator if that's necessary just to get past it. If they're a person who's, who is committing illegalities, there are people who deal with that. They're called police. And they may have to be activated. I don't know. But you still need to deal with it because otherwise you'll just become more and more sullen and, and more and more broken and then it continues to break you. The second thing is pray. Just pray that God will bring a peaceful spirit to you so you can deal with the issue appropriately. And then have a conversation. And this is where severity matters. I mean, if, you know, there are people you just shouldn't talk to because they've already shown that they can really destroy you. And you're not good with them. But in forgiving them, there may need to be some form of communication. And so if that's possible, you do it. You go the extra mile, as Jesus said. He said, basically, try twice as hard as needed. Bless them somehow. Come ready to serve and care for them in some way, if that's possible. If they'll let you. But no matter what, forgive. Period. God has forgiven you. He calls us to forgive. Lord, when we come to this moment in our service weekly, what's on display is a powerful moment where the God of the universe, who created not of the universe, but beyond the universe, came into our world as our neighbor to forgive us and look past all of our sins and shortcomings. Put yourself directly in the firing line of justice and revenge. Took it. Bore it for us. 
buried it and rose from it. We celebrate you today, Lord. And we want to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to wrap up this series today and then next week we jump into another series we're calling Reunion and we're going to really talk about how in our families we can come together. You know, the people that we live inside the walls with, the people in our, in our circle, in our relationships, how can we find ways to come together? One of the things that I think COVID's done to us is even though we've been together more, it's created a lot more tension for many of us. And so uh, that's where we're headed with this. But as we leave this series, I want to give you one more quote from Jay and Dave in the book, Art of Neighboring. They said, God has called us to be friendly with everyone but close to a few. The best way forward then is to invest time in relationships with those who seem open and responsive. And hopefully as you open up your door and looked out into your world and neighborhood, you started to make some progress with the people around you and uh, found ways to neighbor. And, and, you know, if this would be a real failure of a series if we just did this for five weeks and then moved on to something else. Really, this should be the trajectory of our lives going forward, to love our neighbor as ourself. That's what God teaches us. And that's why we're here. So be blessed. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.